Welcome to another inspirational podcast at Real Life Church. For more great content and updates, visit reallifechurchkc.com. like that. Man, I love that you guys are in the house. Man, if you're new with us, thanks for being here. Man, who's excited to hear something from God's Word today? Hey, stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet real quick. We're going to stand to your feet. We're going to uh, give some honor to God today. We're going to just dive into the scripture. And man, we're in a third part of a series, if you don't know this, if you're new with us, uh, in a series called Anxious for Nothing. And man, God's just doing something. There's, a, there's just a peace of God that comes in our life when we follow him. And so we're going to dive into Philippians chapter four once again. We've been doing this for the last two weeks. And I'm hoping that just saturates your heart. And the Holy Spirit just speaks to you and just starts doing the work inside your life. Man, if you're like me, you carry anxiety on decisions and, and different stuff in your life. And I believe God's going to speak to so many of you guys this morning. And so I'm going to dive in a little more of the context. that we've talked a little bit about this before. But, man, Paul is in chains when he writes this. He's in prison. He won't be a preacher, but he went as a prisoner. And uh, you might ask, man, how did Paul end up in chains under house arrest 24-7 a Roman guard? And uh, he was out preaching the gospel, sharing the goodness of Jesus. And guess what? Some religious people got upset with him. And they told him you shouldn't be preaching the name of Jesus because he's blaspheming the Old Testament God. And, and so, he, uh, so he said, hey, guess what? Uh, the, the Roman leadership said, well, we don't really care about that. And so he said, well, you know what? Paul's preaching there's other gods besides the emperor himself. And so Paul started getting some trials and some troubles. So he appeals to Caesar. He says, I think it seems good. I just remember this. It seems good that I appeal to Caesar. And so literally he gets shipped to Rome, like literally shipped, like put in a ship and goes to Rome, shipwrecked. All these situations happen. And so he's awaiting his trial, not knowing what's going to happen. But he thought it was good that he appealed to Caesar so he could reach them to the gospel. It was always a strategy to share Jesus with the leadership in the community, believing that would be the best way to advance the gospel. And so out of this moment of anxiety and fear and doubt, Paul writes this to the Holy Spirit to us today. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to put this in our hearts today. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident among all. The Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything. In other words, be anxious for nothing, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, because we talked about having some praise in our life with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which you can't get anywhere else, that comes from God, is going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I believe for many of us today, we have anxiety in our life that happens around our choices. We're in the middle of making a, maybe a weighty decision or something heavy in our life. Maybe it's a new job or some, something that's happened in our life. We get all the sorts of different options and we get some kind of anxiety, some kind of weight, some kind of fear. And uh, research shows that our biggest form of anxiety is decision-making anxiety. I mean, if you're like me, you're always wondering like, what's the right choice, right? Like there's obviously a right answer. It's a multiple choice. That's so gonna be one right answer. And we're always afraid of making the irreversible bad mistake that we're never gonna get it right. We're gonna end up stuck somewhere. And so today we're talking about this. This is a message title today is when you just can't decide. Father God, we come before you. God, I pray that you do a work inside of our hearts, God. We can't, we don't know the next step, God. We don't know where to turn, God. We'll be anxious for a decision, God. I pray your Holy Spirit would do a work inside of our lives, God. That we'll be anxious for nothing, God. That we go to you in prayer. God, we know you're close to us, God. You put us right here in this moment. It may feel like a wrong turn. It may feel like the wrong place, but God, I pray this morning you do something big that only you can do. God, give us your peace. Give us your presence, God. Guard our hearts and our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Hey, before you sit down, give somebody a high five and say, you look amazing. Come on, you look amazing. Give somebody a high five. No smooching in the back. No smooching. They're looking around like, who's back there? Man, you never know. You, you never know what's going to happen in real life, man. You might maybe just met each other, you know, give each other a kiss at real life. Give each other a holy kiss. You never know. Just met. Welcome to real life, baby. 
Man, I don't know about you, but you get anxious when you make decisions. I mean, I always feel like I've got some kind of stress on my life when I'm just, just anything. And so this last few weeks, uh, we decided to put our kids into daycare. And uh, man, there's a lot of anxiety and stress around sending your kids to daycare because you kind of feel like, man, if you're like, if we, is this the right decision for us in a family? Like we're not with the kids all the time, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But also Emery's like super young, right? She's just over a year. And we're like, man, is that good for her? And she had a first great day and then a second bad day. And Diane, she's like, I feel some mom guilt, like I've abandoned my children. I'm like, you kind of did, babe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not good advice. This is, this, this is not a marriage series, by the way. Um, so anyway, I was like, words, come back. Um, but we're just messing around. But it's always so hard to, like, to know if you're making the right choice, right? And who, know, who knows when you're making a choice about daycare? It's like, ching, 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 ching. You know, the money's flying out, right? So you're like, dude, like, is, this, is this good for us and our family in this moment? I will say, though, it was good for Jack. I'll put it that way, man. He loved daycare. I mean, he got to the first moment. He's like, bye, Felicia. See mom and dad. He, like, he was rolling, you know? I mean, he was like the life of the party doing his thing. We're like, that's really cool. We come back later to pick him up. He gets his little report at the end of the day. And, and next to nap time, I love this, there was a little sad face. I was like, huh. <laughs> so I asked the lady, I said, what happened? She goes, he, he did, Jack did not take a nap today. I was like, I got news for you, sweetheart. He ain't never going to take a nap for you. <laughs> he hasn't taken a nap since Emory was born. That's been over a year ago, okay? Uh, so it's just wishful thinking. So I got Jack in the truck, and I was like, hey, Jack, what happened today? And he's like, oh, it's fine. I was like, hey, did you take a nap? He's like, no, I didn't take a nap. I roared. I was like, you roared? I was like, who'd you roar at? He goes, all the kids were sleeping. I roared and woke him up. I was like, that's my boy. Good job, son. Good job. No, I didn't. Oh, man. I was like, that's why you're going to daycare, son. I'm just going to send, send the daycare right now. You crazy kid. Um, anyway, I love that boy. But uh, he, we have a good time. But, man, decisions are stressful, right? Like, what do you do next? Like, some of you guys are like, do I keep my job or do I get the new job, right? Like, do, do I put duct tape and Jesus on my car and keep that thing running or just get, like, the new car, right? Like, less repairs, right? I mean, do I rent, keep renting, or do I go buy something? Some of you guys think about going back to college and you're like, ooh, that's a lot of money. Maybe some of you guys graduate high school and you're like, do I go to college? Do I go to workforce? Do I go to private college? Do I go to junior college? Like, what do I do? Some of you, are, some of you are dating somebody. You're dating Mr. No Commit. You've been hanging out for, like, the last three years, and there's no commitment. You're like, where is that ring? Come on, somebody. Where is the ring? You're wondering, do I cut my losses now? You know, do I, do I just look for the next guy with the Jesus bumper sticker? Like, what am I going to do, right? Just so, so complicated, right? It can be stressful making every decision. Matter of fact, if you're in high school and college, you're in Generation Z. Uh, research shows that you're the most stressed generation in history, Man, it's the age of anxiety. There's more choices, there's more, there's more stress than anything today. As a matter of fact, I want to give you some reasons of why there's so much stress around our decision-making. First thing is this, we have too many choices. Too many choices. It's the paradox of choices. There's just so many choices out there. As a matter of fact, you may think it's easier to make choices when there's more options, right? Like, I can find the one that exactly fits me, but it's actually complete opposite. Man, think about this. You go on Amazon Prime and you're scrolling through your movies. You go on Netflix. After 45 minutes, what happens? You look at your spouse, you're like, there is nothing to watch. There's millions of choices, but you can't pick a single one of them. You know, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real honest with you. I started watching an old school show, Columbo. Come on, somebody. <laughs> your pastor watched Columbo. That puts me to sleep. So I'm like, I got stress in my life. I try on Columbo. I go to bed every single time, man. You just, what? I can't believe I made that today. I told Diana, I said, man, I've got, so, I've been, just, it's so hard to watch this, man, Columbo. And she goes, dude, they just stopped talking. <laughs> you know? Of all the choices, why, right? But I'm just telling you, you can't pick something, right? But if you go on like an international flight, guess what happens? You get seven movie choices. You're like, I'm gonna watch these four movies. It just makes it so much easier. We live in an age where you can do anything, go anywhere and do anything you want, anytime you want to. You have so many choices in your life. Man, check out the stats. This is absolutely crazy. Children make an average of 5,000 choices every single day. You believe that 5,000 choices? As an adult, this is going to be crazy. This blew my mind. You can, you can look at research study after research study after research study. The average adult makes 35 
thousand choices a day. It's no wonder we're stressed out, amen? I'm feeling stressed out. They talk about making over 2,000 choices of what food you're going to eat in a day. So not only do you have too many choices, but also we're afraid of making a costly mistake. We're afraid of making the wrong decision. We got to look for Mr. Right. You got to be right in the middle of God's will. I mean, you got to find your purpose. Most of us are like, dude, I haven't found my purpose, you know? Like, am I in God's will? I don't know. Most people are like, I don't know if I'm in God's will. Like, you found Mr. or Mrs. Right. I mean, some of you this morning are like looking around going, man, I see an opportunity. There's a girl a couple rows in front of me. I saw that praise hand go up. That left one, there's no ring. There's no ring on that finger. This is your moment, boy. This is your moment. Don't let it pass you up. Like, go say something, right? Most of us are going to freeze out, though, right? Like, man, I don't want to make a costly mistake. Like, I don't want to make that conversation. I don't want to have it that way. We're going to get nervous. We're going to get indecisive. Who's indecisive in the house? Raise your hand if you're indecisive. All right, if you put your hands up, you're not that indecisive, all right? You just made a decision. Um, now, some of you didn't put your hands up. You are indecisive. Who doesn't know if they're indecisive? Just kind of like this. <laughs> well, if you don't know... You will stop there, right? If you don't know if you're indecisive, you're indecisive. I used to work for somebody. I used to be friends with people. I'll tell you this. No decision is a decision. No decision is decision. It's so, so complicated, right? Like it's stressful with our decisions. We freeze out. So this morning, I want to talk about one simple principle, one spiritual truth to really drive us into uncomplicating our decisions. I mean, I want to pack something in Acts 15, go through this chapter, look at this, and unpack some truth for you from God's word. I believe we're going to just see God open up this principle in so many ways. And I believe it's going to change the way you make decisions. So Acts chapter 15, give you a little context. We're talking about the leadership in the church. Here you've got Paul, you've got Barnabas, you've got James. These are the main leaders of the church that time. They're getting together in Jerusalem. It's called the Jerusalem Council. They're going to talk about some, some weighty, heavy theological issues, uh, stuff that we don't have to talk about today. Uh, but they're, at, they're asking questions like this. Hey, what can Christians eat? Can eat certain types of meat and still be followers of Jesus? Like, what's the prerequisite for being a follower of God? Like, are you really a Christian if, you're in, if you eat this type of meat? Because there are traditions that say you couldn't. And then he went on this even heavier weighty, weighty topic. If you're a Gentile, did you have to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I shouldn't make this, this motion when I'm... <laughs> It's going to put my hands behind my back. <laughs> but you have to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the day, like, going to church and, and having that prerequisite to join the church, right? Like, I need, guys, you need to get baptized. Come out to Next Steps every week, child care and refreshments and circumcision. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine that? Like, I don't know why the church isn't growing. <laughs> Like, I don't know what's going on. There's like nobody joined this church. I mean, I love what Paul and Barnabas, this, this is what they came up with. This council came up with this solution. So we're going to read through this. Every time you see the word seems good, I want you to say it out loud with me. Check it out. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Verse 25. It seemed good. To us, having become one mind to select men to send to you with your beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to lay upon us or lay upon you. And I love this. No greater burden than these essentials. I mean, simply what they came up with. This is a simple solution. We're not going to make it more difficult to follow Jesus. Like we're going to raise the bar and have these extra rules. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful today that there's not certain choices of food and I don't have to be circumcised to follow Jesus. All the men said... Amen. Amen. I, don't ha I don't have to. Man, what? I got to change this. You know, Paul, they're like, let's just make it simple. I don't know about you if you've been to a church that's not simple to follow Jesus. I'm so glad we're a Jesus church. It's like, hey, this, there's no other prerequisites. Man, just faith alone and Christ alone to follow Jesus. Like, you have to add all these religion, all these rules, all these expectations. We're going to make it as simple as possible. It just seemed good. So, so, so if you can't make a decision, what do you do? Maybe you're stuck. You got a lot of choices. You don't know wh what to do. And if you read the text, you're like, man, just, just do what seems good. Like, I'm just going to do what seems good. That, that wouldn't be a great advice for you today, okay? Um, 
matter of fact, there's a verse in the Old Testament. I love this verse found in Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there, there's a way that seems right to a man to, and its end leads to death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You can do what seems right in your life, but you can find out you're wrong. What's this look like in the world? This looks like you're around the wrong people. You got the, maybe the wrong voice in your life. You got the wrong values that you're following. And you seriously think you're making the right choice, but then you find out you was actually later on, that was a wrong choice. I'm gonna say this thing because this is so important for your life. You can have the wrong crowd. You can hang out with the wrong people. They're doing things in opposition to God's truth. You can be around people who aren't spirit-filled and aren't following the things of God. And guess what? You can do the complete opposite of the thing God wants you to do. You can think you're right, but you can actually be wrong because there's a way that seems right to a man that's in that leads to death. So how is it Paul and Barnabas and James have this huge, weighty, costly decisions about people's souls, and they can do it seems right? How can they do this? Now, I want you to check it out. We kind of skipped over the, the kind of the principles and the keys that really unlock this passage. We're going to read again, and instead of looking at the word seems right, I want you to look at what seemed right. What seemed right for Paul, Barnabas, and James and these leaders in the early church? Check it out, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men. I love this. It wasn't a man's decision. It was a group of Christian leaders' decision. It wasn't just me and my isolated self, my solo Christian life, rolling out for Jesus. It was me with other people that say, you know what, that's God's will. Who knows that when you make a decision in a vacuum, it's always a great decision. Like, who knows if I had infinite amount of money, time, and resources, everything's a great plan. But when you take your choices and you put on the backdrop of Jesus around people that love you and love God, guess what? It may not be the right choice. It may not be the thing that God wants you to do. Look at verse 25. It seemed good to us having become one mind to select, to select these men. Men, it amazing? They have one mind, one accord. They all agreed together. I, I love that the church can actually agree on something. Come on, somebody. The church agreed together. Like, this is what needs to happen. We're not going to add more rules so you can know Jesus. We're going to make it as simple as possible. Here's the best part. Verse 28, for it seemed good to who? The Holy Spirit. Who knows it's a good idea to put the Holy Spirit right in the middle of your decision-making process? It may be the last thing you do. Like, ask God, God, what do you want me to do? God, show me. God, Spirit, lead me in this. Man, who knows it's good to have the Holy Spirit right in the middle of it. I'm here to tell you something. This is a big difference between what seems right to a man and what seems right to a community of faith-filled, devil-kicking, mound-moving believers in Jesus. There's a big difference what seems right to you alone and the world around you and what seems right to a community of people who love Jesus and are full with his Spirit. I don't know about you. I've got people in my life I can, I can lean into. I've had Christian leaders in my life since I was about 14 years old, and I'm still friends with these guys, and I talk to them and say, hey, what do you think I should do? And they tell me, Sean, that's a dumb idea. I was like, as a matter of fact, they said, Sean, you should, you should marry that girl. You're an idiot. If you're not marry that girl, Diane, you're a moron. I had, I had this conversation. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, I'm a guy, right? Mr. No Commit over here. You can ask Diane. We dated for four years. She's like, Why, where's the ring, bro? Where's the ring? Get the ring out, dude. And the best thing I ever had in my life. I'm just telling you, there's people you get around that Christian influence are going to help direct your life today. I'm going to tell you something. This is really important for you. We, we don't go to church. You may think like, well, I'll just show up one hour a week. That's not true. We don't go to church. You are the church. You are the church. This is so important to realize. You can, you can really miss this your whole life. You're like, well, I did my Christian thing. I did my duty. No, 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 no. You are the church. The church isn't a building. We don't, we don't call it like we're going to church. We go to KT. We're just going to the church's meeting today. But this isn't the church. All right? It's not a destination. It's never a destination. It's always been a people of God. Amen? It's a people. It's an identity to be embraced. Like, I am the church. It's who I am. This is, this is what I do. It's, just, it's part of me. Like, I'm not, I don't care about being the 
building. I'm the church. I meet with my friends at Life Group. I'm part of church, amen? Like who I am. I'm just the church is, is what I do. It's just who I am. If you think it's an hour a week and you show up and you're like, man, the weather's perfect and man, the, 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 the sports are out of the way and my, my schedule's free and I show up an hour a week and I got my church thing on, like no, 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 no. You've missed the entire point of church because church is who you are. You're part of the body of Christ. You're incomplete without each other. Like we don't show up here because we're the, having church. We show up here because we are the church and we're celebrating Jesus, amen. I love when people come up to me and say, Pastor, the church not meet my needs. The church ain't meet my needs. I'm like, you're right, it's not. Like we're the church that exists to meet your needs. We are the church and we exist to meet the needs of the world, amen. We exist to meet the needs of those around us. We didn't come here because I've got all these needs. We came here because the world has all these needs and we're here to serve and honor those people and care about them. Man, you might ask the question, you might ask the question, man, what do I do when I can't make a decision? You might be anxious about following Jesus' decision-making. I'm just, just ask you, man, are you involved in a Christian body of Christ? Are there other believers around you? Man, it's so important to get involved in a life group. You might think, like, life group's a bonus to your life. Like, I'm going to add life group on once I get spiritual. <laughs> like, once I'm close enough to God, I'll have these relationships. No, it's the complete opposite. You grow because of those relationships. I'm gonna encourage you, if you're not connected to the body of Christ, you're incomplete without those relationships. Man, it's not just a teacher-student relationship. It's like, hey, I'm teaching you, you're teaching me. Like, just follow me as I follow Christ. Man, I'm gonna pray for you. You know what I love about life group? When you're hurting, guess what happens? People are praying for you. People are helping you. People got your six. People are fighting for you. You're struggling, guess what they're doing? They're on their knees begging God to do something in your life. When you start straying away from God, guess what happens? No, 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 buddy. God's not done with you yet, man. You're missing this. They pull you back in. I love Life Group because people are there for you. If you believe you can listen to a podcast, which I love listening to podcasts. Come on, somebody. We got some great podcasts out there. You can listen to anybody in the world. But if you're not connected in relationship with other believers, guess what? You're probably not going to make the best decisions in the world. You have all this anxiety and fear. There's not a single major decision in my life I don't talk to other Christian leaders about before I make that decision. Because I realize, like, I'm not that good. There's a way that seems right to a man that may not be the right way of doing it. So I'm going to go to the people of God and I'm going to say, hey, is this the right decision? Should I launch a church? Should, should I send my kids to daycare? Come on. Should I, should, should I do this? Should I buy that new truck? Should I, should I buy this house? Should I sell that thing? Is this a good idea for my life? I love it when you guys are going around asking each other, hey, speaking to me. Is this what God would have for me? All of a sudden, you start making better decisions and that anxiety falls away from your life. Now, I think it's so important to be surrounded by other Christians in your life. Your decision-making in a vacuum is always a bad idea. Now, I love it. People always tell me, I, I believe God's called me this. I'm like, well, have you thought about this? No. I'm like, have you talked to anybody else? No. Now, I'm thinking about God wants me to start this business. I'm like, cool. Do you talk to any of the business leaders that do that? No. Okay, not a good idea, right? Like, you want to get on other people who've been there and done that and help you understand what God's asking you to do and put in the right light. Man, don't complicate it. Man, think about what we've learned so far throughout this series last few weeks. Week one, we talk about this. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Man, anxiety is just a signal to help you understand it's time to go to God in prayer. You can't always control the things in your life, but you can't control when you surrender. Man, last week, we talked about having the perspective of praise. Man, I love this. We don't praise God for what he's doing in our life right now. We praise God for who he is. That's what praise is. We can be thankful to God for what he's doing right now, but we praise God for who he is because he's going to change, amen? So even though I'm in a prison cell and I don't feel like I'm in the right spot in life, I don't know if I'm the sinner of God's will, I'm going to praise God because I know who he is and what he's done for my life. So I believe this, with a posture of prayer and perspective of praise, man, as we seek God together, you get around the right people, guess what? You do what seems right, you're going to be right in the center of God's will. When you get other people that say, you know what, I love Jesus, and I'm like, that's, that's a good idea for your life, you're going to go, yep, that's what I should do. I'm going to seek some godly counsel. I don't know when's the last time you talked to somebody and just threw out there, man, I'm really struggling with, 
Like, I don't know what direction to go. Man, I don't know if I should do this. Like, should, we, should I marry that person? Come on, somebody. We've got the world telling us all the right stuff, right? But it's really the wrong stuff. We think it's right. You gotta get around Christian perspective. You gotta put in perspective of God. Now, let's kind of like GPS. I don't know about you, I'm not, I like to just look at the map, but you get the people talking to you, got that British accent, and I can't, I'm not gonna do that today because I'm gonna mess it up real bad. Um, but it tells you, take the next right, take the next right. And I'm like, is it the next right or like the next, next right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, is it this one or that one? And so I always ask Diane, I'm like, hey, babe, which one is it? Because she's got the phone and stuff. And if it goes bad and make the wrong turn, I'm like, babe, I get to blame you, right? Um, no one ever does that, right? It's bad marriage counseling day, by the way. It's failing up here. I mean, it's like a GPS, right? And so you don't know which direction to go. You might be afraid of making a mistake. You might be afraid of making the wrong turn. You might be afraid of getting the wrong spot. You have all this anxiety on your decision. Like, what if I don't go the right direction? I'm just going to tell you something. God's going to do something. And if you ever had GPS, what happens? Rerouting. You guys are smart. You guys are smarter than me. You guys pre pre preach this message. Go finish it up. Go rerouting. Rerouting. God's going to reroute your life. God's going to change it. God's going to move it to where it needs to go. There's a story I want to share with you. And this is just remind the story this week. It's so powerful. Some of you guys probably know this person. Some of you probably have no idea who this person is. But I want to tell you the story of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, he used to, he, he was all wrapped up in bad stuff in Watergate. I mean, he was an advisor to President Nixon, made a huge mistakes, all these different things in his life. Absolutely crazy. This guy met Jesus. Between, between Watergate and going to prison, he met Jesus. He was a lawyer. And he met Jesus and he said, you know what, I did a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of wrong turns. And he did. He was super selfish. Did a lot of crazy stuff. He met Jesus. And then when we went to trial, he actually told me, I'm going to plead guilty. And they're like, you don't, they don't have enough information possibly to even convict you. They're actually thinking about dropping the charge. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I met Jesus and I, I want to I do the right thing. So he lowered his, his uh, charge and they said, it's going to be obstruction of justice. You plead guilty. And he did plead guilty. He went to seven years at hard time in Alabama. And in prison, okay, he goes from the top of the world doing his wrong, he thought it was the right thing or the wrong thing. He goes into the prison and God begins to do something in his life. God's doing something crazy. And out of, this, out of this moment of weakness in this prison cell, he comes up with a vision. And he wants to start ministering to people that are stuck in prison. So a couple years later, he starts a ministry called Prison Fellowship. If you haven't heard of Prison Fellowship, it's the largest nonprofit ministry in the world to prisoners. Large nonprofit ministry. Actually, matter of fact, there's millions upon millions upon millions and millions of inmates that have come to Christ because of Chuck Colson's time in prison. Matter of fact, this ministry is in over 120 countries around the world today. I'm telling you something, you may make the wrong choices. They may be absolutely wrong, but you might be exactly where God wants you to be. I love what Chuck Colson said when he was in prison. He said, I found myself increasingly drawn to the idea that God had put me in prison for a purpose. Come on, somebody that he put me here on purpose. I made all his decisions, all his wrong turns, but God's got me here for reason because he wants me to do something for those left behind bars. I'm telling you something, you may feel like you're in a bad spot in life. This may not be your favorite season. You may feel like you're a failure. You may feel like you have all this anxiety, all this stress, you make all these wrong turns, but I'll tell you something, God is rerouting your life, amen? God's gonna use you in this season. You may not feel like you're, you should be here, but God is going to use you in this moment. I love what Paul did behind chains. Paul is in prison. He wanted to be a preacher behind a pulpit, but he went to a prison cell and he wrote this from the very same prison cell we've been talking about in Romans 8. He says this, and we know that all things, somebody say all things. All things, all things. God works for good for those who love him have called according to his purpose. Every single thing along this journey, I thought it seemed good to appeal to Caesar, but now I'm stuck in this prison cell, but I'm realizing God's doing all things. 
Like maybe God put me here in prison on purpose. Who knows that Paul started the first prison ministry? Come on, somebody. Who knows that Paul started just saying, I'm gonna be a preacher in chains then. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I know God's gonna advance the gospel of my life. Just don't complicate it. Like you don't know what to do with your decision-making. You don't know what direction to go. Hey, don't complicate it. Don't think too much about it. You're gonna make some wrong turns, but just know this. I love how the book of Philippians ends because here's what Paul does. He goes, I just remind you what God's doing because you all know that I went to Rome to preach the gospel to those at Caesar's house and see the emperor change for the cause of Christ. You guys all know that. But I just wanna remind you of this truth. Check it out in verse 22. He says, and all all God's people, these are the saints. These are followers of Jesus in Rome. Here's what he says. All God's people here send you greetings. Oh, and by the way, just in case you want to know what God's up to, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Isn't that incredible? That's a mic drop moment right there. Boom. I just want you to know that you thought I was going to, that God was going to use this. But matter of fact, God used my chains to actually do the very thing I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to bring the gospel to the leadership. And guess what? There's people in Christian in the Caesar's household that have come to Christ. I mean, it seemed good to appeal to Caesar. Like, I didn't know I was making the right decision or not, but I've got good news for you today. It was definitely the right decision. Like, I didn't know this was gonna end up here, but God's using it. I got news for you. We started this church. We just did what seemed good. Like, we thought it was a good idea to launch a church. Like, we didn't know where it was gonna go. And this last week, uh, somebody found our launch packet, our strategic launch packet. We put this out. Just check this out. This is a picture of the very th- first thing we put together and printed in our church. We started saying, hey, well, there's a road to real life. Who wants to join us? We got a vision for our city to see 63,000 people who are far from God meet Jesus. We have a vision to be a church in our city, not just in it, but for it. We want to be a church that's life-giving, that brings Jesus full of grace, that gives life-giving words to people and see people's lives radically change. There's all sorts of our heart and our passion in there. And we just said, you know, we're gonna do it seems good. We had no idea it was gonna show up. We had no idea if it was gonna work out. Actually, Holly sent me an email this week, just a couple days ago. And she goes, I found this in the back of a folder. I have not read this whole thing. But you know what's crazy is after two years of a church, you guys are doing so much of the stuff you guys had in your heart to dream of. There's so much that God's doing. There's so many lives are being changed. There's so much that's happening right now. The vision's coming to fruition. You're making a difference. I'm so glad to be able to play a part of God's story here at Real Life. I'm telling you something, we launched a church. It seemed good, but two years in, guess what? It was definitely good, amen? God's using it. We didn't know what God was gonna do. You might be in a season of doubt. You might be in a season of struggle. You might be in a season where you don't know what's happening. It's not your favorite season. Come on, somebody. I, I try to make every season my favorite because I can find reasons why they're all not, right? But this is my favorite season, wiping butts for Jesus, right? My favorite season, doing all this stuff. But we're gonna follow God. And I'm gonna tell you something, years from now, you look back and you go, you know what, God put me in that prison. I'm gonna start a prison ministry. God, 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 God pulled me out of the ministry. God called me to launch a church for the cause of Christ. Man, God put me through this, this, this situation I'm in, but you know what? God's gonna use it for his glory and his good today. You're worried about your decisions, man. Just follow God. Be anxious for nothing. May rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. May let your gentleness be known, be known among all. The Lord is with you. You're not doing this on your own. This isn't your own pace and your own race. Man, in every situation, when you're struggling, you're in a prison cell on top of the mountain by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. We're gonna some praise to God because I'm in this prison cell, but now I can write these books and I can reach the, the household of Caesar by being in this prison cell. I thank God I'm in this prison. God put me in this cell on purpose. There's a reason for the pain. I'm not just suffering on my own because guess what? Good news. I've read, I met the mission God called me to go to and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You're not gonna understand what's about to happen, but in the storm, there's a peace that only comes from God. So I'm gonna be anxious for nothing because God's guarded my heart, my mind in Christ Jesus today. I'm telling you something, God wants to be right in the middle of your decision. 
The Holy Spirit's doing something when you make a choice. If you're freaked out about choices, you're worried about making the wrong one, don't be worried because God's right in the middle of your choices. God wants to walk with you every step of the way. He's gonna reroute your life. He's gonna use you to further his kingdom. Whatever choice you're gonna make, you can't make a wrong choice that God will not be with you in. Father God, we come before you. God, I pray you do something big in our hearts today, God, something that's supernatural. God, I pray that we'd be a people full of your Holy Spirit, God, that we wouldn't do this on our own. God, we wouldn't run this race without the church, without relationships in our life, God, that change us from the inside out today. So across this room, those of you that are battling something, maybe you have decision-making anxiety, you just don't know what to do next. Maybe you have a lot of fear around your choices today. If that's you, if you gotta wait, maybe you got some angst, maybe you got some kind of fear in your choices. If you just wanna cast out on God today and say, you know what, I want the Holy Spirit to be right in the middle of my choices. If that's you, just lift your hands high. So I want God right in the middle of my choices today. If that's you, just lift your hands high across this room. Father, God, I pray for those that, that need you in the middle of their choices today, God. We thank you. God, that we're going to run this race on our own. God, that you're with us. God, I pray that we won't be a people that just run the race by ourselves. God, that people wouldn't see us, and that, but they'd see you, God. I pray that we just make decisions that impact our family for generations. God, that we'd be the men and the women, the moms and dads. God, the sons and daughters you called us to be. God, we wouldn't be worried about what the world thinks. God, we'd be consumed with what you think, God, that we're gonna go to church people. We're gonna people that love you and love us. And we're gonna ask them, God, and we're gonna come to one mind and we're gonna come to one accord and we're gonna go, that's good. We're gonna follow that. We're gonna follow God's plan for our life. In those seasons, God, we feel like we're, str we're struggling, God. We know you've planted us right there in the prison cell. God, we're just gonna do what seems good. And one day, God, we know that it is good because we're gonna see the fruit of the labor. God, we know you're up to something, so we trust you in this season today. As we keep praying, many of you are gonna go, man, I, I need to be in a life group. Like, I don't have that relationship in my life. I don't have other Christians in my life. I wanna encourage you, get into a life group today. Some of you are gonna recognize that you don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with God. The Bible calls the gospel good news, the good news of Jesus. Why, why is it good news? It's good news because God made a way for you to know him. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to have a certain amount of rules. You don't have to read the Bible a certain amount. You don't have to go to church a certain amount, quote unquote. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to play the part. You don't have to be good enough. The Bible says that God wants a relationship with us. What's that mean? It means this, that God created us to be with him. In the beginning, God created everything, spoke to existence, and he intimately designed us. He wants a relationship with you. The very first thing that man did was look in the eyes of God. God wants to walk with you in your life, through your struggles, through your pain. He wants to know that you are his God. He wants to know you're loved today. The Bible says our sin separates from God. Man, Adam's sin was put on humanity. We were, we were born in sin. We were shaped in sin. And we can't be holy. We can't be good enough. Our good enough is never good enough for God's standard of perfection. Because God is holy and we're not holy. We can't measure up to, to what God wants. We can't remove our sins by good deeds. We can't pray enough. We can't meditate enough. We can't do enough good things to earn a way to God. But God made a way for us. He sent his best. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. The Bible says that Jesus